today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantan. Maybe you feel a sense of guilt because you don't share Jesus more often. And, and what you think is, man, I just need to, uh, just need to remind myself what I'm supposed to do and I'm supposed to just get out there and do it. That's typically what we do sometimes. We just go, okay, what are we supposed to do? Let's just do it. But Peter takes a very different approach. He spends most of his time in these two verses preaching about who we are, and then very simply in the middle, he tells us what we are to do. Open God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Sometimes there are seasons in the life of a believer when proclaiming the gospel becomes less of a priority. Today, Pastor Ricky will be exhorting us to make Jesus known to everyone. In our text, Peter is exhorting the church to comprehend and believe who they are in Jesus before he encourages them to proclaim the gospel. Many times the reason believers don't preach the gospel is because they don't understand who they are in Jesus. You are a part of a royal priesthood never forget that. Well, let's join Pastor Ricky for part one of his message entitled, Proclaim. We are in chapter two of First Peter. Now, have you guys seen that one commercial? I actually love this commercial where somebody's in an office break room and they put like something in the microwave and the microwave begins counting down and then behind them suddenly a rock band appears. And it's the band Europe. And they, in the break room, play an epic version of It's the Final Countdown. And they're going with the guitars. And then there's like stuff and fireworks shooting out from the bottom. And everyone in the break room is like, oh my gosh, what is happening? And they play through the final countdown until the microwave's done. And presumably then they just disappear. Um, And the point of the video is if you're the band Europe, you love a final countdown countdown. In other words, the idea of the video is that if you are the band Europe, it is simply impossible for you to resist playing the final countdown every time you are somewhere that they are counting down anything, right? In other words, it's so deeply embedded in the band Europe that they must play it everywhere. And they have a whole series of these commercials. Um, You see it. There's one that I think is funny where you see a chicken taking trains and walking through cities and traveling everywhere. And it's because he's a free-range chicken. That's what he is, so that's what he does, right? Today, we're going to talk about who we are and how it leads to what we do. Just in the way that Europe can't resist playing the final countdown or a free-range chicken can't resist traveling the country, we as Christians are someone And that means that we do something. We're going to be talking about the topic of mission today, our mission as individual Christians and our mission as a church together. And we're going to see that our calling and our mission flow from our identity. So 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be again reading in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal race priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If you are like me, mission and evangelism and mercy ministry to the world around you may not come naturally. Maybe you know those Christians that it just seems like all they do is share about Jesus and talk to their neighbors about Jesus and do mercy ministry projects in the city and kind of love and, 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 and think and breathe mission, but maybe you don't. Or maybe you made an effort to do this maybe some years ago, but now you have kind of slacked off. Or maybe you feel a sense of guilt because you don't share Jesus more often. And, and what you think is, man, I just, need to, uh, I just need to remind myself what I'm supposed to do and I'm supposed to just get out there and do it. That's typically what we do sometimes. We just go, okay, what are we supposed to do? Let's just do it. But Peter takes a very different approach. He spends most of his time in these two verses preaching about who we are. And then very simply in the middle, he tells us, what we are to do. Our passage is very simply structured. In the beginning of verse nine, uh, Peter has kind of lays out some glorious truths about who we are in Christ. And at the end of verse nine, he gives us our calling in light of that identity. And then in verse 10, he reemphasizes our identity again. So it's identity, calling, identity again. And that's how we're gonna walk through this passage. Section one is who you are. Peter says, but you are a chosen race. Now, this phrase, but you are, that the word but, is a contrast to the previous verse, which is they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. It, it speaks of people who rejected Christ, rejected God, due to their sin, due to the hardness of their heart, that destined them to stumble, stumble over Jesus. They encounter Jesus reject him, don't believe in him, stumble over him because of their hardness of heart. Now, in the beginning, it wasn't always so. In the beginning, we received an identity as God's special creation, unique and uniquely loved by God in all creation, but we rejected this identity and we instead pursued rebellion against God. And yet our hearts still long for an identity. So we today try to create an identity ourselves. But every identity our fallen world can offer to us or every identity we can come up with ourselves, whether that's being successful in business or being hot or being perfect parents or being cool and good at CrossFit, all of that stuff cannot ultimately satisfy us. We search and look for an identity because we've lost our identity in God. And that should have been the end of the story, but you stumbled when you encountered Christ. But then in that context, those three words are beautiful. Peter says, but you are different. You deserve this, but something has happened to you. In contrast to the identity that you deserved, an identity of rebellion against God, an identity that never satisfies, you have a new identity. And this identity has been gifted to you. It is not one that you have earned. This happened, Peter says, if we refer back to 1 Peter 1, it happens because we were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. On the cross, Jesus died for who we were, for the old us, so that if we believe in him, just as Jonathan was explaining, so that if we believe in him, we could be raised to a new life, a new identity in Christ. 
This is, this is so important. Hear this. Before the Bible tells us what to do, it tells us who we are. Before the Bible tells us what to get out there and do, it reminds us of who we are. Some people picture Christianity as essentially something you do. Some people think that if you start acting like a Christian, you are a Christian. That if you start going to church, if you start trying to swear less, if you start trying to read the Bible more, then you're a Christian. The Bible says almost the exact opposite. It says that you receive the identity first, and then you do that stuff out of that identity. It does no good for you to begin acting like the king of England if you are not the king of England. You can talk with a British accent, buy some weird, expensive clothing, and, and start ordering people around, but is anyone going to listen to you? No, because you are not the king of England. In the same way, we can't act like a Christian if we're not actually in Christ. But here is the amazing news of the gospel. We have been adopted and brought in by the king, giving us a status and a privilege that we did not deserve and we did not earn. And then out of that, we live. Peter gives us our identity in four pictures, and these all respond to Exodus 19, right before God gives the law. Now, if you remember the series on Exodus earlier this year, this will be familiar to you. He's echoing very specifically what he told his people right before he gave them the Ten Commandments. And this is extraordinary, by the way, because Peter, who is a Jew, is applying the promises of the Jews in the Old Testament to the Gentile Christians he's writing to in Asia Minor. So these guys weren't just like a little bit removed. They were on the complete outside as Gentiles. And Peter's saying, no, 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 this is true of you now in Christ. First, he says, you are a chosen race. This is a dynamite phrase. Uh, the word chosen is Peter playing off of verse six. In verse six, it says, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And Peter says, this is Christ. This cornerstone is Christ. And he is chosen and precious, meaning chosen, that, that word has overtones of the Old Testament concept of setting your love on something. You don't just choose it the way you choose a hamburger. It's, it's a specific, special covenantal love, the way that you choose your spouse, you set your love on them, the way you choose a child, you set your love on them. And of course, it would make sense that to God, he chose Christ. He set his love on Christ because Christ um, was his very own son, perfect and sinless in every way, worthy of being chosen. But Peter applies this to us not because of who we are and what we've done, but despite who we are and what we've done. As Christ is chosen and precious, so we are who are in Christ are also chosen and precious. And verse eight is very clear that those who stumble over Christ do so because of their sin and they have only themselves to blame. But verse nine is clear that those who come to Christ and are saved have only Christ to thank for their salvation, right? This is unbelievable that we would be chosen by God, that he would set his love on us, that Ephesians 1 would say, before the foundation of the world, he set his love on us. Why? 
We are a chosen race in Jesus Christ. And remember that that word race speaks to our corporate identity, not just our individual identity. We are chosen together. One commentator says, there is a spiritual ethnicity to the church of Christ. Christians are blood relatives joined by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now listen, coming to Christ does not remove ethnic distinctions, but instead creates a new ethnicity that is the overarching ethnicity and identity of all Christians. So what God has done is he's chosen us, he's set his love on us, he's brought us as a people into a new, in essence, race. That's the first part of our identity. It's amazing, it's glorious. Second, he says we are a royal priesthood. Again, as I just mentioned earlier, this is not because of who we are. We cannot come to God and announce our royalty. Royalty doesn't come from who you are, it comes from who you are related to, right? The prince is not royal in and of himself, but he is royal in it so far as he is related to the king. Do you ever think about that? So it's not him that is sort of royalness like given innately bubbles up out of him, right? People go, oh, he must be royal. No, no, no. He's related to the king. That makes him royal. And in Christ now... God, the king, has adopted us as sons and daughters into his family. We are royal and we are a priesthood. A, a priest was someone that went between God and man. And, and originally in the ancient world, pagan people's gods often dwelt far off, up on some mountain. So if you think of the Greek mythological characters, they all dwelt far off, up there somewhere, Mount Olympus. But Yahweh dwelt in the midst of his people. But even then, only the priests, those, that special class of people could go and enter into the very presence of God, the, the intimate presence of God. And yet, what is amazing is that in Christ, we have been ushered in to the holy of holies, into the very presence of God, not because of what we've done, but through Christ. We've been ushered in, and these Gentile believers who were ethnically, culturally, religiously cut off are ushered into the holy of holies. This is scandalous, what Peter is saying in the ancient world. And he says they are a holy nation. Now, this is remarkable because by our own actions, we are profoundly unholy. God does not wink and laugh at sin. He judges it. He, he must judge it or he would not be just himself. But in Christ, we are declared holy, not because of what we've done, but because of what God has done. And we become a nation, a group of people that transcend all of our previous nationalities, a new nation together. And he ends with this phrase, a people for his own possession. Now, in the ancient world, I think this is referring back to the ancient world where kings or rulers would, they would have kind of the, the treasury of the nation, right? But then they would have their own personal treasury. So in other words, they were sort of charged with keeping the treasury of all the nations and all the kings before them, but then they would have a separate treasury for their most choice jewels. Their most treasured possessions would be set aside in a special place. And that's what Peter is evoking here. He's saying Christians are God's own special and personal and treasured possession. 
Amazing. And if you think about these things, that we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, you think, well, you, you should think, why? Why would God do this? In light of what we were destined to be, alienated from God, far off, cut off, receiving only what we deserve, and in light of Christ, getting all of this royalty, being a, a priesthood, being a holy nation, being a people for his own possession. Why would this happen? Commentator Ed Clowney says simply, pondering this question, he says this, the Lord loves because he loves. Nothing can explain the love of God for sinners. Why would God do this? Why would he take us from what we deserve to what we do not deserve? Why would he take people that are cut off and alienated and bring them in? Because he loves us. Nothing can explain the love of God for sinners. Christian, hear this today. If, if you are in Christ, if you have believed in Christ and trusted him for the salvation of your sins, everything that I have just said is true about you. Regardless of how you feel this week went, regardless of whether you acted perfectly toward your spouse, regardless of whether you trusted God perfectly in the midst of hardship, regardless of whether you shared Christ faithfully with your neighbor, and regardless of all of that, something is objective and true about you in the sight of God, and it is all of this, that you are chosen, that you are precious, that you are royal, that you are holy, that he loves you because he loves you. That is who you are in Christ. Now, if you're not a Christian, this passage is both a warning and an invitation. The warning is this, that you cannot receive this identity by doing stuff. You can't just get back to church a little more and be a Christian. You can't just read your Bible a bit more or try to cut out some of the major sins in your life and, and sort of be a Christian. No, no, you, you, what's required that all that Jonathan explained happened to you, that you say, look, I'm gonna die to myself in my old life and I wanna be raised to new life in Jesus. I wanna stop living my own life apart from Jesus. I wanna trust him for salvation. I wanna follow him. I wanna pursue him. I want him to run my life. And if you do that though, the glorious truth is that there is an invitation. If you will lay down your efforts to build an identity outside of God, if you renounce them and say, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I want to turn from my sins and follow you. If you do that, you will be a new thing. All of this in Christ can be yours. You don't have to do anything. Now, it will cost you everything. It will cost you giving up uh, the, the fact that you want to run your life. But if you do that, you will gain everything. That's who we are in Christ. But it leads to what you do. Who you are leads to what you do. And here's what we do so that, it says, all of this is true of you, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has done something in us so that we would do something. God has not just saved us from something. He has saved us for something. The two are impossible to separate. Often we treat mission, our, our mission in the world around us as an optional add-on component of the Christian life. Now, I remember uh, the one time I was 
was buying a car or maybe the, the few times I was with my parents where they were buying a car. Um, here's what happens when you go into the car dealership. You want the car, essentially, right? You want the car, but what does the salesman do? He will try to sell you on additional things that you did not plan on getting, but suddenly seem like a great idea, right? I mean, after, after a bit of time, you begin to be convinced, you know, those three days a year that I could use it, that seat warmer would come in really handy in El Paso. I mean, I those three days are the worst days of the year. I walk out, it's cold, my bottom is cold, and then the thing that I want most in the world is to sit on a seat that's already warm. I mean, that seems, that seems reasonable to spend another $1,000 on that, right? It, or they want to sell you the fog lights for the three days of the year that we have fog in El Paso, right? I mean, seems like a great idea, though. It was just foggy. If you go in right now, you're going to, get, you're going to buy the fog lights, I guarantee you. They'll have you convinced this is like the land of Mordor, and if you don't have fog lights, you're going to die. You'll look at the interior of the car and think, this is nice. I, I like this interior. This is good. But then they'll tell you, oh, but you know what? I, I, I don't want to waste your time with this car. Somebody like you, I can see the way you're dressed. I think you're the kind of person, this is a rare customer, but the kind of customer that would appreciate the premium wood accents. Have you seen those? Wood accents. I mean, it just adds to the touch of luxury. And don't you want driving your car to be a luxurious experience? And so all of a sudden, you're like, yeah, you know what? I do want the seed warmers and the fog lights and the, and the, and the, the wood accents. I'm not sure what that is, but that sounds like very luxurious. And, and here's, here's, here's one of the problems. Some people picture Christianity as essentially, okay, what I need is just the relationship with Jesus. It's just me and Jesus, all the other stuff, Bible reading, blah, 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 blah. But what I need is me and Jesus. And then when, when people are like, hey, you should do mercy ministry or pray more or go read your Bible more, you're, gonna go, you're, you're kind of thinking, well, look, that seems, look, I'm just going to focus on the, the main relationship here. It's me and Jesus. I'm just going to trust the Lord, try to, you know, whatever that means for me. And you stop trying to add things into my Christianity. I don't need those things. But Peter's picture here is radically different. Peter says that mission is not related to Christianity as optional extras are related to a car. Peter says that mission is related to Christianity as a car relates to driving. If you have a car, you have the car to do what? To drive the car. It doesn't do you any good to buy a car, put it in your driveway, and go, this is nice. And you know, when you need a break, kind of get in the car, play some music. Ah, this is nice. And then get out of the car. Your neighbor's going to go, are you going to ever drive that thing? I mean, Christianity is related to mission the way that your car is related to driving. If you bought a car, you're going to drive it. If you were bought, brought from darkness to light, you're going to shine the light. It's what you do. Hoping God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. First Peter is one of those hard-hitting books in the Bible intended to shake us to the core. In this series, Pastor Ricky will be sharing messages entitled The Counter-Cultural Christian Community and The Time is Short and many more. Each one of these messages will bring insight into specific areas in the Christian life. 
You've been listening to Better News Radio, the radio ministry of Pastor Ricky Elcanta of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. CD copies of today's study are available when you email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. That's radio at betternewsradio.com. Today's message, as originally presented at Cross of Grace Church, can be downloaded from our website at www.betternewsradio.com. If you can't get to your computer to download or place an order, you can always call us at 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, the number to call is 915-562-7100. Perhaps today's message was exactly what you're looking for in a church. If you don't have a home church and you sense God is calling you to walk in obedience to Him by being a part of the body of believers, please join us for worship Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Community groups of believers also meet throughout the week in many locations around the city for Bible study, fellowship, and prayer. For more information, including driving directions, visit betternewsradio.com. We hope to see you soon. Music heard here on Better News Radio is courtesy of Sovereign Grace Music. Pastor Ricky will continue sharing messages from his series in the book of 1 Peter next time on Better News Radio. Open.